Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast. I'm your host, Frank Giles, and we're off on a new year, uh, the first podcast of 2023. And I have joining me, as always, Michael Rogers, the director of the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. Michael, Happy New Year. Uh, Happy New Year to you as well, Frank. Good deal. Well, I guess, you know, we're off and running into the new year. Just talk a little bit about things that are going going on in uh, Citrus Research. Okay, thanks. And a new year has started. I mean, we're more than halfway through January, and it has been quite the whirlwind already with activities going on around the state, um, you know, both industry events and and events within IFAS. And um, we've had a number of of seminars, uh, research seminars that have taken place already this month, Um, you know, some workshops uh, on pathology or citrus pathology down in Immokalee, um, an insect uh, management workshop in Lake Alfred. Uh, there was uh, earlier in the month um, a seminar on plant growth regulators, particularly uh, gibberellic acid use and what you should and shouldn't do with that. And so you know, we've already you know, hit the ground running, um, putting out information for growers. And the idea on all this is trying to get stuff in the hands of growers you can use now um, because you know, we, we've seen what's happening in the industry. It's not a lot of good news this year with the harvest forecast. And so anything we can do to help, you know, provide incremental benefits to the groves, I mean, that's what we're really focused on and, and trying to get that information out to growers. Yeah, I think this, this year will be a year of kind of rehabbing these trees after the hurricanes and hurricanes and that freeze in January last year. So um, it'll be useful information for sure. Yeah, definitely so. And um, really some interesting, you know, you mentioned hurricanes. Um so really some interesting information in the workshop that took place on gibberellic acid earlier this year. I know you all have covered this in the uh, Citrus Industry News Online, uh, some work from Tripti Vashisht. Um, Dr. Vashisht was showing that with the gibberellic acid treatments, um, well, she showed two things. One was that she's got a lot of new data now showing that, you know, it works really well on Hamlin Orange, some of these early season varieties. And that that's that's kind of new information for us because, a lot of the work we've been talking about for a while with gibberellic acid has been mainly on Valencia or the late season crop. And so, you know, you have to have a different timing on these early season varieties. So she's got several years of data or a couple of years of data going into this now with Hamlins, and it's looking really promising. And one of the things, again, with these hurricanes, as she saw in some of the sites, um, was that where some of the, the groves she was working in and growers had put out the gibberellic acid got subjected to the hurricane winds, they saw a difference in the, the gibberellic acid treated versus untreated areas in terms of fruit retention following the storm winds. Um, and so that was just showing that it's, it's having these gibberellic acid applications are having a benefit um, in terms of improving the health and the holding power of the trees, not only gibberellic acid, but also with that combination with 2,4-D. And so um, Dr. Vashish talked a lot about that and probably also really uh, an important point to make about that she presented in her uh, findings was about the timing of these applications. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot. We're trying to find ways to reduce the number of applications so growers can save money and be most efficient with the use of these products. 
And um, uh, so what she's finding, and, and I think a rule of thumb she's putting out to growers is, is you really want to think about using these, if, if you haven't done them before, the gibberellic acid, um, you don't want to start right now in January. You really want to wait until after you get through that June drop uh, that happens, that you know, when the trees are shedding all that excess fruit, and then start thinking about gibberellic acid, potentially June or July, but really the, the, time, the main time frame that we feel confident in right now is, is that August through December application window. Um, obviously, a little bit... You'd probably stop before December, a little bit before December for those handling oranges because those are harvested earlier. But again, um, more of a fall application. And um, but again, you don't want to do gibberellic acid this time of year right now uh, because we've already had the the flower bud induction uh, taking place. So the gibberellic acid, a lot of the benefit is to suppress additional blooms. So you're not going to be able to do that so much at this time of year. And you also don't want to set too much fruit on these HLB stressed trees because if you, if you did gibberellic acid sprays as, as you start to see fruit set, you could set a lot more fruit than you wanted to. And just keep in mind that you know these trees are really stressed um, from this disease, and if they if you have them put on too much fruit, they'll become carbohydrate starved, and so basically you're, you'll end up with a lot of late season drop later on in the year because they can't handle too much fruit load. And if they do, you'll also see poor fruit quality because they just don't have enough reserves to go around and make the quality of fruit that we're looking for. So that's just something to keep in mind. And, um, uh, you know, Dr. Vashish is going to continue to uh, get the results of that work out. We've got a lot of meetings coming up this year, and, you know, she'll be talking about that, as will other faculty talking about some of the other um, advances in some of our work that are going on that may be a benefit to growers. Well, it's going to be a busy year, um, a lot of research going on. And I was in some of the citrus groves that <clears throat> had been treated with those PGRs prior to the hurricane, and you could really see, at least some of the groves I was in, the difference that those treatments, assuming that was the difference that, that those treatments were making in those groves, they really looked good and kind of reminiscent of the old days. Yeah, absolutely. I've been in some groves as well that just looked fantastic. Um, and it, it was a common, in some of the groves I was in, it was a combination. It's not just those plant growth regulators, but also a good nutrition program, having that base, uh, that foundation to, to grow the good, the good leaves, the good canopy, and also grow that, that uh, good quality fruit. Because um, we've, we've talked about this before, you know, the gibberellic acid is not going to do a whole lot on terms of fruit quality. Uh, it will help you get a good canopy and, and, and um, retain fruit. Uh, but that fruit quality we're looking for that's important is going to come from your nutrition program. And I know probably a lot of growers experienced, have experienced this, this fall, the hamling crop, um, the bricks, you know, problems with bricks. Uh, we, we've seen that with our groves um, in Lake Alfred at the research station. Uh, we, we just couldn't get those hamlins to pass. And so, you know, there's been a lot of issues with fruit quality, and, and the best thing you can do on those uh, to correct and improve fruit quality is starting after fruit set, getting on a good nutrition program, making sure you're irrigating the trees properly, and keep them from becoming stressed during that critical growth time of the year. Good deal, Michael. That's great. Um, anything else as we get rolling into 2023? Well, we've got a lot of, of events coming up, and um, I just want to you know, take this time real quick to uh, refresh everybody's memory. If, if we've talked about some of these events coming up before, um, and so there's a few new ones on the list, but we've, we've got a whole you know, pile of, of events taking place 
at least in terms of IFAS-sponsored events. Um, so I just wanted to uh, refresh everybody's memory. Those are coming up. Uh, the, the next one is um, January 31st down at the Southwest Florida Research and Education Center in Immokalee. Um, uh, Dr. Manji Zekri has is, is, uh, organized uh, this event, and there's a couple of speakers. One of those is Dr. Fernando Alvarez is going to be talking about um, uh, what to do after you take off your in, uh, individual protective tree covers. Uh, we've had a lot of people, you know, putting using IPCs around the industry. So after a few years, you know, what, do, what should you expect and how do you care for those trees after that? So he's going to be addressing that. And then uh, Dr. Uta Albrecht is going to be talking uh, about her research on uh, trunk injections um, with, you know, oxytetracycline. So uh, what you need to know about those trunk injections, what to expect using the new technology. And so both of those seminars are taking place. Uh, it, both those talks are in the same seminar that's taking place on uh, January 31st from 10 o'clock to noon down at the um, Southwest Florida Research and Education Center. Now, if you um, want to hear, I know there's a lot of people who probably are interested in these trunk injections, uh, can't make it that far south. You've got another opportunity further north on February the 2nd up at the IFAS Lake County Extension Center in Tavares. Um, and so Uda will be up that way uh, to give a repeat performance for folks further north. Um, that's February 2nd from 1 to 2 p.m. at the Lake County um, Extension Office in Tavares. And then uh, getting into February, um, we, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, how important nutrition and irrigation is to, to the health of these HLB disease trees, helping them produce those good crops. That's the subject uh, for a workshop that's taking place uh, in Lake Alfred on February the 15th. Uh, we've got a whole series of speakers talking about um, things like, you know, citrus BMPs, where we are on those, um, irrigation technology, uh, nutrient management, uh, micronutrients, things like that. So that's all taking place at uh, the CREC in Lake Alfred on February the 15th. Uh, registration for that meeting starts at 8.30, and I think they're going to wrap up um, somewhere around uh, 1 or 2 o'clock. And if you make it to Lake Alfred on that day, it's a two-for-one. We've got another event taking place from 1 to 3, also on February 15th. That's um, uh, another fruit display day put on by our plant improvement program. Uh, we, we just recently had a, a fruit display day here in January that was really well attended. And, uh, and this is this time of year we're getting into more of the juice oranges. Uh, we're starting to see... Uh, less and less new fresh fruit varieties to sample, but we get more into the juice oranges, so it's a good opportunity to uh, come out and sample some of the, uh, uh, the juice varieties we've got. There will be some fresh fruit as well, but that's going to be from 1 to 3 p.m. Um, in the Ben Hill Griffin Citrus Hall here at the CREC in Lake Alfred. And uh, for the folks up north, and I'm talking way further north in, in the state, um, at the North Florida Research and Education Center in Quincy on February 23rd, uh, there's going to be a Citrus Health Forum. Um, this is being held in conjunction with the, the Cold Hardy Citrus Growers Association. It's a it's an all-day event, uh, pretty much 8.30 to 2 p.m. And, again, that's in Quincy uh, for those growers further north. Um, you know, they've had a lot of cold weather up there this year. And I think uh, while the reports are that, you know, maybe the Satsuma crop looks okay, um, some of the other varieties they've been trying out up there have probably suffered a lot through the cold. So we'll... By then, we'll be hearing a lot more out of that group in terms of what the damage is to all the other varieties being grown up there from the cold weather that they had. So again, that's February 23rd up in, up in Quincy. 
And then April 4th, um, heading back south here in the central part of the state, we have our annual Florida Citrus Growers Institute that's put on by our citrus extension agents every year. Uh, they always do a fantastic job with that meeting. Um, so that's at the South Florida Community College in Avon Park. Uh, that's a, another one of those uh, all-day events. Starts at 8:30 and runs till about 3 p.m. And again, that's April the 4th. And the last uh, event I'll just mention, uh, Frank, y'all are very much involved in this, is the Florida Citrus Show there in Fort Pierce on April 13th. And maybe you want to mention some things. I mean, y'all have changed this up a little bit this year. So in terms of how that event's going to be happening, yes. maybe you want to <clears throat> let let folks in on what you're what you're doing here with that. Yes, Michael, we have changed it up a little bit. We're we're calling it a refresh. Um, and we've we've kind of condensed it a little bit. It, for for many years, it's been a two day event, and we just know everybody's so busy that we've kind of con consolidated that into a one day event. And it's going to be held uh, at the Indian River Research and Education Center and the USDA Hort Lab right there. They're right there together, so we're kind of utilizing both of those properties to host the show. And we're going to book in the education in the morning and the afternoon, but we're going to have a little bit of an extended uh, lunchtime period where we allow the growers and academics and researchers and industry stakeholders some good time where they can really get together and network and um, you know share their experiences together. And it's it's going to kind of be like a cookout atmosphere. So we want to try to inject some fun into the event because, you know, everybody's it's been a tough time with these hurricanes and HLB. So we're, we're really emphasizing on that break period, too, to, to really make it an event that the attendees will enjoy. But on the front end and back end of it, get some really targeted, good education uh, that citrus growers will benefit from. Yeah, I, I saw it just online announced the other day, and, and the whole the details and you know the, the term tailgating was used there for that that two hour or three hour spot during the middle. And I I, I was wondering myself, you know, how how's this going to work? Um, I was thinking about holding a big event like it normally is at the Fern Center or whatever or Finn Center. Yep. And um, you know, moving it over there to the IFAS and USDA facility. But I think this is really a cool idea, and I think it's going to work out really well. And I'm excited to see how it turns out because. Uh, I, I do think it'll be a good event. It kind of breaks up the, the monotony of having to sit through seminars all day long to get out and interact with each other. So uh, I think I think y'all had a really good idea there, and uh, so I look forward to that. And um, and I also like turning the interview around and interviewing you. So <laughs> <laughs> That's right, that's right. Well, you know, it, we hope it's, it'll be a good event. Uh, we think it will be. Um, we've had pretty good uh, feedback from the people, the vendors and growers that we've talked about and just kind of floated the idea. And, you know, the reception to it has, has been positive so far. So we're, we're excited about it. Yeah, so I, I hope everybody comes out for that. I think it'll be a really good event there on April 13th in Fort Pierce. Absolutely. Well, you know, just running through this, our calendar's filling up already. And, and if 2023 is anything like 2022, uh, it's going to go by fast, so that's a good thing, I guess. Yeah, and so I would encourage folks, uh, you know, we talked about all these, I talked about all the different meetings that are coming up. One thing I failed to mention, um, you can go online. A lot of these require registration in advance, so do go on to um, whether it's the, um, the CREC, our website, or the citrusresearch.ifas.ufl.edu website. 
If you go on one of those IPAS websites, there is a calendar button. You can click on that. You can go to the links for all the meetings and register online. And, and there's more meetings than what we talked about. Um, when you, you can go month by month and look at the calendars. There's a, uh, lots of other meetings like HACCP meetings, um, Produce Alliance, Safety Alliance meetings, um, Powell Burner meetings that are on the calendar. So if those are the types of things you're also looking for, definitely um, go into the IPAS calendar and uh, check out what all is happening, and we'll continue to update that calendar. And, and Frank, I know you all have a, a calendar as well on the Citrus Industry website that um, also includes even other things that aren't you know, in the industry events that aren't necessarily IFAS. So there's a number of places that you can go to get all this information and register for these events. So I encourage growers to go online and do that. Absolutely. Well, with that, Michael, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll talk again next month. All right. Thanks, Frank. We are now joined by Mangel Dutt. He is an assistant professor that is mainly focused on citrus research, but he also works with some other subtropical fruit crops. He's based at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alford. But today we're here in Savannah at the Southeast Regional Fruit uh, and Vegetable Conference uh, that's held every year in early January. Manjel, welcome. Welcome. Thank you for talking with me. Great. Great to have you. And... Uh, you know, we've looked, we're constantly looking for new citrus varieties that have some tolerance to HLB, um, but there are some older varieties that, um, that have shown some tolerance, and you've been looking at one of those, and, and that one, one of those in particular is Parsons Brown. Right. And, you know, let's talk a little bit about that variety, because I know there's a lot of interest among growers in it, and if we can just start the conversation with a little bit of background on it and, and maybe we'll just start there and, and, and talk a little bit more about your research. Alright, so Parson Brown is a very old variety and it was one of the um, initial varieties that was grown in Florida. Um, so this variety was um, introduced by a person named as Mr. Carney in uh, way back in the late 1800s. And um, the origin of this variety is unknown but it's possible that this is a seedling selection from some trees that he grew out in his property. Um, in the mid-1900s, there were several selections that were known as Parson Browns that were grown in Florida. And some of those selections came from the original germplasm that Mr. Carney had, but some selections were from other sources. Anyway, um, since then, there has been a decline in the Parson Brown production, and one and the acreage has been replaced by Hamlin sweet oranges. So Parson Brown and Hamlin are both early season sweet oranges. The main reason for the decline in Parson Brown acreage was because of a higher oil content in the juice and in the peels. And so the processing houses were more, um, the processing houses preferred Hamlin sweet orange over Parson Brown sweet oranges. However, there were still a lot of acreage left of the Parson Browns and we have been hearing from a lot of the growers that Parson Browns are more tolerant to HLB. You know, in, in before 2005, you know, you did not see any differences in the growth between Hamlin sweet orange and Parson Brown sweet orange. But since then, you know, Hamlin trees have been on the decline, while Parson Brown trees in many, many parts of the state still maintain a good canopy and produce good fruit with very little 
fruit drop, which is very important because hamlin is highly susceptible to fruit drop under endemic HLB conditions. Parson Brown is not. Very good. I, I know, I, I, I recall back over the years that as HLB continued to spread and, and production declined, I began to hear growers saying, hey, I've got this Parson Brown uh, grove that still seems to be holding up pretty well. So that, that kind of goes along with what you're, you're saying there, the, the um, progression of this, and it just sort of beginning to stand out a little bit and catch people's attention. Given that, I know you're looking at the variety and doing some work. Just talk a little bit about some of your research. So we went to CRDF and um, we discussed um, looking into these Parson Browns to understand whether the Parson Brown as a scion was tolerant to HLB or there was some kind of a rootstock scion interaction between the Parson Brown and the rootstocks. As we know, their rootstocks can have an effect on the HLB tolerance and some of the newer rootstocks are have better um, tolerance effects on the scion compared to the older ones, such as Swingle, for example. So this project that we had with, uh, that was funded by CRDF, allowed me to look into Parson Brown plantings all the way from Oak County to Collier County. And we looked at um, groves um, that had mainly been planted in the late 80s to mid 90s. So we are, we're looking at trees that have survived HLB and are and between 30 to 35 years of age. So the key finding that we saw was that Parson Browns, irrespective of the location or rootstocks used, were more tolerant to HLB compared to Hamlin. Now, this opened up a Pandora's box of questions for us. When we looked at the leaf HLB um, numbers, there wasn't a significant difference between Parson Brown and Hamlin's. So the Parson Browns were getting infected at the same rate as the Hamlin's. However, even though they had endemic, H, uh, they, they were infected, the Parson Browns were still able to grow well, they maintained an adequate canopy, and they were quite fruitful. That's very good. And, and speaking of the fruit, the quality of the fruit, uh, you know, the, the yield seemed to maintain, you know, maybe not at the level of, of the heyday, but, but they're holding on. How about the fruit quality? The fruit quality was comparable with the Hamlin. The only um, negative drawback that we saw was that Parson Browns had higher oil content in the juice. And that's something that the processors are willing to trade off to, you know, to have quality fruit and fruit in general. Correct. And also now with the new and advanced technologies, I imagine it would be much easier for the processing plants to skim off that oil, you know, compared to the processing that happened in the 70s, 80s, when Parson Brown started to decline in favor compared to the Hamlets. Now, is, the, is this project concluded or are you, do you have some next steps uh, going forward? So this was a one-year um, preliminary survey in which we tried to understand. We also looked at um, a number of these genes um, responsible for enhanced tolerance to, towards HLV that we have identified. Some of them are what we call PR proteins or pathogenesis-related proteins. And in the Parson Browns, we identified a number of these proteins that were more upregulated than Hamlin's. So what we understand is that there is something going on in the phloem 
that is enhancing the tolerance mechanism to Parson Browns. There could be other aspects going on too as you know, different researchers are looking into it. So we went to um, CRDF with, um, with our initial one-year find findings and this last December we were funded for an extension project to look into other aspects. So we have Dr. Tripti Vashisht who will look at the lower fruit drop phenomenon and we also have Dr. Nabil Kilini in our team who will also look at the phloem chemistry to see if we can identify different parameters um, and actually conclusively provide evidence to the stakeholders why the Parson Brown is a much better sweet orange than Hamlet. Great. Well, I know the I know the growers have really been looking at that variety and are excited about it, even though it goes way, way back in terms of its its longevity. Um, so I know they're excited that you guys are looking more and uh, deeper into it. So we thank you for joining the podcast today. Thank you very much. I'd like to welcome Yu Wang, an associate professor of food science with UF IFAS. Uh, you, most of us love sweet things, but with sweetness there comes a little bit of baggage in the form of sugar and calories. You have been studying sweetness in citrus and have uncovered some new natural sweeteners in the fruit. Tell us a little more about your research and these natural sweeteners. Sure. Um, as you mentioned, this is a dilemma for uh, all of us because uh, we all like sweet things, but at the same time, we don't want to consume too much sugar uh, due to the health concerns. Um, so that's uh, why the sweetener or the sweet enhancing compounds are very popular for the food and beverage industry. And the work we're work uh, we're doing is uh, we actually found some uh, natural sweeteners and sweet enhancing compounds in citrus, and which means those compounds are uh, are natural, because uh, our consumer they are uh, they like the sweetener they want you know the sweetener or the sweet enhancing compound in their product but they are looking for some natural compounds instead of those synthetic compounds, so uh, the compounds we're um, we discovered in citrus, so firstly, they are natural, so they naturally pre present uh, in citrus. And some kind of the compound, for example, like the oxymine-5, uh, 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 the sweetness intensity of this compound is 400 times higher than that of uh, sucrose, so which means it's very sweet, and if you put just a little bit of that compounds, and it, it could just enhance uh, the sweetness a lot. So that's kind of the compound we're looking for. And there is another thing, like uh, um, for specifically for citrus industry, because we know, like you know, right now the sweet orange juice uh, has some like sugar bias issue, and people are they're they're thinking the sugar uh, levels in the orange juice are too high, even though the, the sugar are natural sugar, it's not added sugar. So by discovering those sweeteners or sweet enhancing compounds in the citrus, I think somehow in the future it could solve the um, sugar bias issue. And, uh, you know, if we could use those varieties which contain those sweeteners and, uh, uh, you know, we can still keep the palatability of our sweet orange juice, but at the same time lower the sugar levels in the juice product. So that's pretty much like, you know, um, the project we're working on. So you mentioned there's really that push within the food industry and even the healthcare system to reduce sugar. So 
you know, ultimately the goal of this could be a way to help promote and improve orange juice, conju- uh, orange juice consumption, correct? Yes, I think so. Perfectly. Um, I am personally not a fan of artificial sweeteners like saccharin and aspartame. What you are working on would actually get around some of those products' downsides, like the bitterness and things like that. Just tell us a little bit more about that. Like you mentioned about the, you know, the synthetic uh, sweeteners. So definitely, like most of the consumer, they uh, um, they prefer um, the sweetener actually is from a natural resource, like the stevia. Like you know, we um, have a lot in the market, all the monk fruit. So right now, like you know, we found those natural sweeteners in citrus. Actually, citrus is much more popular than stevia, and it's probably the most popular fruit. Um, so, which is very exciting, and which means um, you know those compounds can can be found in a very uh, popular resource. Um, so, uh, and uh, speaking of the. The bitterness, so the bitterness you're saying is a bitterness from the synthetic sweetener or the bitterness thing uh, for the sweet orange juice? No, the bitterness of the uh, synthetic sweeteners. Okay, um, so um, for the natural, um, the reason like we are working on those uh, natural sweeteners and like you said, the, some kind of the aftertaste from uh, the synthetic sweetener is definitely an issue. And also, like for stevia, it also have some after, like a taste of the bitterness, like from the stevia uh, sweetener. And the, the reason, like we're working on citrus, or we're trying to discover more natural uh, sweeteners, is like we want to find some compounds actually uh, taste sweet, but uh, uh, without the aftertaste. So. Um, we are still, uh, you know, trying uh, to see if there is more potential sweeteners actually uh, has those kind of um, effect, like you know, in- increase the sweetness, but uh, without aftertaste in citrus. Very good. So, what's the next steps for this research project? You know, where are you heading from here, based off of what you know so far? So uh, uh, first thing, like uh, as I mentioned, we are still trying to look for more um, sweeteners or sweet-enhancing compounds without the aftertaste, so the taste is going to be clean. So uh, that's like uh, one um, thing we are working on for like right now and also like the in the near, very near future. Another thing we're working on is we're trying to understand the formation pathways of those um, sweeteners in citrus because uh, we want to find the control genes of those compounds and then working with our breeding teams and they can breed more varieties containing those compounds or containing higher level of those compounds. So then we someday could have some varieties uh, taste uh, sweet. The palatability is very good, but at the same time, the sugar level is not that high. Very good. Well, Wu, this sounds like a sweet project, pardon the pun, but uh, good luck as it moves forward, and we'll have you back to give us updates. Sure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.